Welcome to the Femsplainers. I'm Danielle Crittenden. And I'm Christina Hoff Summers. And today we are going to talk about porn. We're going to try to keep it PG, but just a warning that we are going to go into some topics because all of us and many of you are concerned about the pervasiveness of porn in the culture, its effects on love and relationships and dating. And so we thought, who better to have discuss it but a, a well-known porn star, Chanel Preston. So she's going to be joining us. But in the interim, Christina, you're the wonderful academic between us. And you went and looked and said, well, you know, how pervasive is porn really? What, what effect is it really having upon us? What right. One, well, one of the first things you find is that uh, you have to be careful about what studies you use because there's a lot of advocacy research. And so you'll find that for example, a lot of feminist research will insist that porn is conducive to violence. And then you will find the porn industry, people have an interest in pornography. They have their own studies which show that, no, in fact, it decreases violence. And then you have religious groups that want or very, seem very invested in showing how harmful it is. So you have to sort through it all. And what I discovered, I think, I, I, there could be trouble, but I think that some of the best research informative research is coming from websites like Pornhub. And they're... They would have, they be vested in having... They just... Flowing. Assuming they're telling the truth. One of their statisticians said that it was like a digital truth serum because people can't lie. You just see what they do. So... I know that I want to see what <laughs> they do. Yeah, yeah. I know. You really don't <laughs> because people are weird. And actually... Everyone is a little weird, according to Pornhub. They find that about 26% of their visitors are female, on a, and, but that, and that's covering many countries. The highest is Philippines for, for women. I don't know what's going on there. The United States is 25%, Canada 25%, and then rest men. So women are there, significant numbers. Do they numbers. account for gay or lesbians, or is that broken down? I mean, it sort of flips me out that they can even track this because, I mean, think of the surf, internet surfing we were doing to research for this, this show, and we were worried like the FBI was going to sweep in and I've take always, our Yeah, that, I, I've always been afraid to look at any sites, even for my research. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to have... Well, so, so but the, they can. It the looks like squad porn, descend upon... Pornhub is tracking. Sex. It is tracking. And then it looks at top searches, and they're not exactly what you might expect. Well, for one thing, it turns out that a lot of violent porn is preferred by women. Huh, you mean like rape or domination? or Yeah, that women are more likely than men to go to these where, you know, they see women humiliated. And, and if you think of Fifty Shades of Grey, that yeah. was, so apparently there's interest in that. For men, the, the number one top search was teens. One thing that was surprising is there are people with a fetish for much older women. <laughs> wow, they must listen to the Femsplainers. <laughs> <laughs> well, it gave me hope, porn hope. And then this is weird, mom? How could that well, be number mom three? And, I think it means mom in a MILF way. I don't oh. know, stepmom? Ooh. And then they, they I, obviously unpronounceable, unsayable, can't say that. Cartoons, babysitters, I get that. Stepsisters, I don't know. <laughs> well, and for women, you know, a lot of women search lesbian sex and threesomes. Can I say gangbang? Gangbang. And then you find odd things like in Japan, 10% of young men 
apparently very interested in tickling. <laughs> tickling porn. <laughs> so anyway, you but, go but, to... you, but you couldn't find anything. I think one of the things you couldn't find was how damaging it is. Because as you said, everybody has their own survey. I mean, I remember seeing something from Brigham Young about how damaging it was. And of course, that's what Brigham Young would find, as right. would Pornhub find it promotes healthy sexual relationships between married couples. So, but do we have anything on, on whether how much you watch it? Does it affect the brain? Is there anything yes. like that? Well, there's a data scientist, Seth Stevens Davidowitz, who wrote a book about pornography searches on Google and Pornhub. And he claims that violence against women is popular among women. In fact, far more popular with women than men. And he, he says, I know this is politically incorrect, but fantasy life is not always polite. Now, of course, they're talking about correlation, not causation. But if it were the case that pornography encourages sexual violence, you would expect the trends to be a little different. And they're just not. I mean, we have not seen, we, we are now inhabiting a world that's just, you know, saturated with pornography. And sexual violence in the, in the United States and many other countries is very, very low. We don't know that, you know, the pornography is the reason why sexual violence has gone down, but there's a strong correlation. And if it were the case that pornography causes violence, then you would expect that rates would be increasing around the world because we're now saturated with pornography, and that has not happened. Right. I mean, in a way, you could possibly argue that, that it's thwarting a lot of behavior because people are people who have those tendencies are satisfying themselves. Because as we found in our searches, you can find anything, any fetish, any, and it's frightening, some of it. I mean, some of the, the a lot scenes of our guests best, are in are... Bestiality and people well, that are... <laughs> even just the horrible violence that we witnessed in Chanel scenes. But anyway, let me just give you the quick femme facts about our adult film star. She founded a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting and representing rights of adult film performers, because as you can imagine, there's a lot of scope for potential abuse. And she also has her own podcast called Sex Think, which advertises itself about talking about everything but sex. So that must be her escape. But anyway, <laughs> let's, let's bring on Chanel. Welcome, Chanel, to the Femsplainers. Hi, Chanel. Thank you. Hi. Thank you for having me. Well, this is extremely exciting to have you. Uh, we are, Certainly our listeners are very excited when we tweeted out that you would be with us, and we asked, we asked questions of, what have you always wanted to ask a porn actress? And we stressed that it had to be PG questions. <laughs> and we got a lot of questions, so we'll, we'll get to those. But I guess we first want to hear a little bit about you. Yes. Why and how you came to internalize misogyny? Question. <laughs> that's, that, that's, well, that's what um, some would say. No, but how did you start? Just how do you decide? Were you a little girl and said, I want to grow up to be a porn star? Like, how did, how did this happen? No, definitely not. In fact, if anybody, if anybody would have told me I would have ended up here, I would have thought they were insane. I never, it never crossed my mind, of course. I, I got into the industry because, well, I was actually, a, I started out as a stripper. 
Um, how did you start out as a stripper? Is that the original A lot name? of people don't believe me, but I was really curious about that world, like the sex world. And not because I was a very sexual person. In fact, it might have been very much the opposite. You know, you hear, obviously, you know, the sex world exists. You hear about strip clubs. People make fun of it. People, you know, talk, say all these things about it. And I was like, well, what, what is it like to be there? And I was always a very adventurous and curious person. And I was always the most curious about things that other people seem to either be afraid of or hate. Like what? Well, even in some of my academic studies, I tend to veer towards like the prison system or sex workers or people that are largely kind of ignored. Because I, I just, I've always just been interested in it. Like the, the people that, the demographics that people aren't really talking about, or you, you think, well, maybe this information that most people have isn't correct. Like I'm just always curious about it. And so I started as a, as a stripper and I hated hustling. I'm not a hustler. I'm horrible at it. But I really enjoyed learning about like my peers and the people that were going to strip clubs. I joke that it was very much a social experiment for me. I was like, what are these people like? What is this like? And then I ended up, someone asked me, a woman, not a man, asked me if I wanted to do porn. And I was like, oh no, you're not supposed to say yes when people ask you that. <laughs> and I, I went home and I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this. This is this would be interesting. And I actually thought it was going to be so easy. I was like, oh, a pretty girl in porn. I'm going to be great. And it was, I was so naive because I, I got into the industry. I was like, wow, this is, this is hard. There's a lot of beautiful women in this industry. There's so much competition. So it was really just kind of a curious thing. Well, it was a place I ended up. Can um, I take you back a little even before? Because we're still a little puzzled. I think Christina would agree with me. I mean, people would assume you came from a tough background or you didn't have a great relationship with your father. Like, just to even right. go into, it's one thing to be curious about the prison system and another thing to become a stripper. Right. <laughs> like, what, what age, how old were you and just how did that get into your head and, and did it have anything to do with your, the background you came from? I was actually a little bit older when I got into porn. I was about 23, 24, which is older for porn. Most girls are 18, 19, 20 years old. I didn't have the background that people might assume I had. I actually have a very strong family. I don't think I have daddy issues that people might assume I do. We weren't even a very, we weren't a, a religious family even. I know a lot of people tend to kind of rebel against their, their past and they go into porn. And a lot of times that can stem from like a, a strict religious background. We weren't really religious, and we did, I also didn't come from, like, a very open family with sexuality, and we talked about it a lot. It wasn't that either. It was just, I just considered our family to be very normal. And what, um, what did so your family think? They weren't happy about it, of course. I wouldn't have ever expected them to be, but I think had I told them when I was younger, like 18, 19, I think they would have been a lot more concerned, but because I was in my mid-20s, think they were less so. But also my parents have this attitude of, well, she's an adult, she's going to make her own decisions. So we're going to love her regardless. And I think they see now, I've been in the industry for so long, I think they, they see now that none of their fears kind of came to fruition. So, I mean, they respect my choice. There, there aren't issues with it. I can talk to them about it. Obviously, I don't give details to my, to my parents, but I can talk to them about work and they've accepted it. And it's not, it's not, 
an issue in you know, my family. There, there was a study in the Journal of Sex Research in 2012 about actresses in pornography, and they tested the damaged good hypothesis. And here's yes. what they found, and, and tell me if this sounds right to you. They said that in terms of psychological characteristics, porn actresses had higher levels of self-esteem and positive feelings, social support, sexual satisfaction, and spiritual spirituality compared to a matched group. They matched them with a set of young women from similar background, age, etc. Does that sound... I am familiar with that. I have heard that. I actually haven't read it, but I've seen it. I've heard it come up many, many times. Are you asking me if you think that's accurate? Yeah. I mean, I can see some methodological problems with this study, right. uh, but still, I've, I've just wondered what you thought about it. Well, it matches I think your that's experience. true. I mean, my personal experience, yes, that does match that. However, this industry is really unique because there's such a range of people that are drawn to it for such a range, like such a broad range of reasons. So the people who really have made this their career and they value themselves and they value what they do and they work really hard and they see it as any other job, fall in line with what that research has concluded about adult film performers. However, there is an underbelly of the industry. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There absolutely is. And so it's such this strange range that it's very difficult to make generalizations about people in the industry. Because my personal experience is, yes, the women in this industry care about themselves. They care about their health. They're, a lot of them are very educated. They have agency. They're independent. And then there's you know, a whole other group of performers who are probably younger and aren't making the best decisions for themselves and are being exploited and being coerced. So I, I certainly agree with that research to a degree, but it doesn't mean that, you know, that right. underbelly okay. doesn't exist at all. Well, one of the things I read that you said that you got into this business, or at least in advocacy, because you're part of the co-founder of the Adult Performers Advocacy Committee, was to right. promote healthier attitudes towards sex. But when Christina and I were just doing background searches on you and even on your own website. I mean, I wouldn't call the scenes we came across healthy. I mean, some of them were sort of horrifying. Well, I mean, the, the, the sexual imagination is not always polite. No, but when, you, you know, we got concerned that there were rape and men doing really horrible, horrible things to you that I, I don't even want to mention. And just sort of how can we make it healthier when on porn, you can access every type of fantasy, including even bestiality. With the advocacy group, we try to make a distinction between the performance or the fantasy and someone's own sexual health. You can have a pretty perverse fantasy or something that other people might perceive as being dangerous or obscene or whatever. But most people in the industry, I think, really can make that distinction between fantasy and reality. So you might have a fantasy that might seem completely disgusting and horrible, but you can still maintain a healthy sexual relationship or a healthy sexual psyche. Just because you have, I mean, obviously I'm not like a, a psychologist or an expert, but there are a lot of psychologists who do feel this way. Just because you have these, what we call extreme fantasies, isn't necessarily what you might want in real life. Also, what kind of happens in our minds, it sometimes feels outside of our control, especially when it comes to sexuality, especially when it comes to, like, fantasies. I think if you spoke to most people who had extreme fantasies, if given the choice, they may not 
want to have those fantasies because it is so stigmatized and it's really hard for them to kind of indulge in those fantasies in a way that they think is safe. Like with goats. My thing is it should be anything created in porn should be consensual, like informed consent. The goat has to agree. I don't consider bestiality (laughs) consent, so I don't (laughs) agree with bestiality. (laughs) Sorry, you took that one um, down a wrong path. (laughs) I just have a question about your day, the day-to-day life. Like, you wake up in the morning, and you have cats. I heard your cats. Yeah, I heard the cat. Meow. I have four cats. Yeah. And so what time do you go to work? (laughs) And do you work every day? I don't work every day. It really depends. So, I mean, there was, I'm older now, so I don't work every day. But there was a time where I worked pretty often. I mean, girls who are working a lot will work anywhere from, you know, two to five, six days a week. So it's a lot. It's very different than maybe a mainstream actress who kind of works on a project for a bit of time or whatever. But I go to work usually from nine to five. Very normal hours. Oh, However, nine that nine to five could be five. very different. And um, when you arrive, you you put on makeup and do your hair and things I, like that. What? I go into the makeup chair. I spend a couple hours in the makeup chair and oh, a couple of hours. Make a scene and I'm home by five usually. It really depends on the company I'm shooting for and the type of scene I'm shooting. So sometimes it can be very quick. It could be like a few hours. And there's been times where I'm been on set for what feels like days. This actually brings us to one of the first of our listener questions. I think this came to us over Twitter. It says, does the amount and extent of the sex you have, I guess in your work, detract from your private sex life? And does it drive your need for more adventurous or extreme sex in your private life? It actually does the opposite. I value what we would call like vanilla sex, I guess you could say, or intimacy much more than I ever had before. When I was younger, it was like, oh, you want to try this? And I was like, that's so exciting. Yeah, let's do this. And now it's not really that exciting to me to try something that might seem kind of extreme or crazy. So what I really enjoy is kind of the intimacy and the what cuddling? some people might consider very boring sex. Now, isn't, isn't your that. boyfriend, your boyfriend is a porn star. Yes, he is. Do you cuddle? <laughs> <laughs> we love cuddling. Oh. <laughs> we do. You know, I, doesn't, I think that people are really surprised to hear about performers' personal sex life and hear how non-exciting it really is. I think people are also very surprised when they, a lot of people go to these sets to see the porn being created, and they're surprised how boring it is. They're like, wow, this is not what I expected at all. I'm bored out of my mind. <laughs> it's obviously all the viewer sees is what we want them to see. They see the fantasy. They don't see everything that goes into making it and how clinical it can be or how unsexual it can be to make sexual content, which is kind of the irony behind it, I think. Now, you know, there are people who blame the porn industry for large number of men shying away from intimacy, from long-term relationships, from marriage, from monogamy. Do you think that's true? You know, I might have a different opinion than other performers about this because to a degree, I think that could be true. I don't think that's the only factor at play, though, which I think is the problem, is porn is often, I think, used as a scapegoat. However, they're not really looking at the full picture of why this is happening. I think that a lot of people, especially young people, 
are exposed to pornography, extreme forms of pornography, more than they should be. I, I think it's really difficult for a child or a teen to really navigate some of these things that they can see, some of these things that they have access to. You can try to explain it to them, but I just don't think they're mature enough to really understand why. So they, they might be fine watching a traditional boy-girl scene, but when they, when they come upon something more extreme, I think it's really difficult for them to really wrap their brains around it. I also think it's difficult for adults to wrap their brain around it because we're not really taught about pornography and what it is and why it exists. I think anytime we're not really educated about something, we reach conclusions about it and we tend to blame it because we don't understand it or we fear it. And I'm not saying there should be like a class on pornography, but if kids are being so exposed to it nowadays, mm-hmm. why not teach them about what it is? Because it is a form of entertainment. It's not educational. It's not meant to be educational. And the reason why it's so extreme sometimes is because one, some people like that. And two, because it's entertainment. And I mean, any form of entertainment is going to want to just like go over the top sometimes. I mean, look at mainstream media. They do crazy things that are so unrealistic, but we, that appeals to us in some way. And we know we can make the distinction with mainstream media, what's fantasy and what's reality. But for some reason, when it comes to pornography, people really struggle to make that distinction. And I think it's because they're really not taught what it is. I saw the same thing in the literature on video games, that if there was violence, people would say that it, people that are playing them will become more violent, and they've never been able to document that. Right. What the researchers say is it's fantasy, and people, their fantasies aren't always polite, and they aren't always correct, and, <laughs> and you can't make a connection necessarily but, but between me... what people fantasize and what they will do. It sounds like you're saying that it's your job to be part of this industry that entertains people. Many are worried about it because now, is it because we're a puritanical culture and, and there's a feminist argument against it, that it's offensive and oppressive to women? Well, I think people do use it as education, unfortunately, but I think that's because they don't have any other option. They don't, <laughs> we don't have a very strong sex education program in the United States. Like it's, I, I, I was educated about sex, but I can't say it, it was enough for me to really like navigate the world of pornography if I had that much access to it. We're talking to Chanel Preston, an adult film star. You don't have children, correct? You're correct. not a mother. I, I'm a mother of two daughters and a son. The two older ones are grown up and out of the house, and I have a 16-year-old daughter at home. And we've talked about this or expressed this concern before on the podcast, but what I fear is happening is, A, it's just so accessible now. There, there are really no... You can just stumble upon this in such an easy way, and you can stumble upon it, the extreme stuff. And I'm finding that the influence of it, at least on the boys around her, is these expectations and almost professionalism that they're expecting from young women and teenagers. I mean, it's gone beyond Playboy, put it that way. And that girls are doing things at younger and younger ages that... They wouldn't have even heard of. Well, 10 remember, years ago. Caitlin Flanagan made an interesting point. I don't know if Chanel will agree with this. She said that pornography and now sexual practices is 
influenced by gay culture. Mm-hmm. Well, she said the porn today that, that is streamed down to heterosexual culture was originally a lot influenced by homosexual culture, which I, I think is an interesting idea. Yeah. But now, as we know, it, everything is addressed in porn. Everything. So how should parents deal with their son-daughter looking up porn on the internet? That was actually a question that came through on Twitter. And, and how, how would you suggest, <laughs> what would you say to the young girls who are facing these guys? They all want you know, them to I behave actually, like you. <laughs> I actually uh, agree with you. And like I said, I may not have the same opinion that other performers have because I think other performers might really kind of fight against that and say, no, it's fine, blah, blah, blah. But I actually agree that it is too accessible to, to youth. It is because, like I said, you, they really struggle to navigate what that means when they watch that. And therefore, it really affects men and women's relationships, sexual relationships and sexual psyche. I do. And sometimes I actually feel kind of conflicted about it. I'm not going to lie. I do. I think Gosh, I don't want to be a part of something that causes women to think that they need to be these, like, sexual acrobats. Then I think, well, is that a fault of porn? Or is it, like I said, because they don't have any other form of education when it comes to sexual health or sexual relationships? Because I, I, have, I don't have kids, but I have nieces and nephews who I'm very close with. And so I've had to have these conversations with them. So it does continue. Yeah, how do you describe what does Auntie Chanel do? <laughs> or, or when you're sitting next to someone on an airplane and they say, well, what do you do? <laughs> what do, you, what do you, uh, you know, it might be easier to say a porn star than a philosophy professor. <laughs> I don't actually normally, I try not to tell people what I do, not because I'm ashamed of it, but I just don't really feel like going into, it's not yeah, something I, I, know you, <laughs> I don't care to divulge it all the time. Sometimes I do. But with my nieces, I remember one of their friends showed one of them a very extreme BDSM video of mine, and she came to me. And she was too young to have even seen that. And so I, very much like what I've said before, I knew she wasn't going to be able to really understand why someone would participate in BDSM. So my goal in that conversation was to ensure that she knew I was safe. Because I think that was what was her fear. Like, look at my aunt that I love. All these horrible things are happening to her. Is she okay? And so I explained, even though I'm just really simplifying this, I explained, like, when you watch your favorite actress in a, in, a, in a movie and you see that she dies or she gets hurt, are you concerned for her safety? Do you worry that she's not alive anymore or that she's hurt? And she said no. And I was like, okay, well, this is also entertainment and a lot of this is fake and you may not be able to understand why someone would do that right now, but just know that I'm okay. I'm safe. This was consensual. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. And she understood. And now she's much older. But that was really my goal then was not to get her to understand what porn is or why it was really like your aunt Chanel is safe. Don't worry. I'm just trying to think why I would feel so concerned if my daughter or, you know, young friend were to come to me and say, well, I think I want to be a porn star. (laughs) And maybe it's captured by one question. A Twitter follower says, how do you respond to the criticism that it puts a price tag on what many regard as, the writer says, a consummate act of romantic love and thereby making it into a job like any other job? As, as Samantha said on Sex in the City, there's a reason they call it a blow job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, 
it's not for everybody. I mean, I wouldn't sit here and try to get anybody to join the porn industry. It isn't for everybody, especially with like the way the sexual culture is today. A lot of people don't either don't associate sex with romantic, with romanticism or whatever. And other people do sometimes and not other times. Some of them see it as a pure pleasure. I mean, there's just so many different dynamics when it comes to our relationship with sexuality. We can't just assume that everyone should have the same exact relationship with sexuality. And just because somebody puts a price tag on their sexuality doesn't mean that they're incapable of having romantic, intimate sexual relationships with a partner. I mean, it's sort of compartmentalizing it, really. And some people go, well, that's bad. Yeah. But why? Like, why can't somebody do that? Why doesn't a woman have the right to do that? Why doesn't a man have a right to do that? I mean, everyone talks about women in the porn industry. People don't really focus a lot on men in the porn industry, and they're doing the same thing because it feels like women's sexuality is just held so sacred, so much more sacred than men's sexuality. You know, we, it's well, something well, we need to be protecting right. at all costs. I have heard, of, like, the way you describe your profession, I have heard this before in in Holland, where I lived for a while, many years ago. And the Dutch have a very different attitude. For example, I visited there a few years ago uh, when my son was young, and we stayed in a hotel. And he was a young man. Young man. Yeah. No, he was, I don't know when it was, but he was 13. And on the television, just as you would, standard Dutch TV, was pornography, hardcore porn. And I would try to turn it off, and it would get louder and louder. And I couldn't skip it. And my son was constantly trying to watch sports and this was coming on. So I, I went to the desk and said, excuse me, but there's <laughs> pornography on the television. And is there a channel like... And she couldn't comprehend why that was a problem. <laughs> and she for a 13-year-old boy. It's like, Mom, I, it's okay. I'll watch the game later. <laughs> but, well, I didn't, you know, if he wanted to watch, I didn't want to be there with him watching it. I didn't want it on there at all. But, but the Dutch, you know, they, other people must stay in these hotels. And it's just, they accept it. You know, they have the red light district with the prostitutes and it's, right. you know, on every tour. Part of me thinks that is, you know, if the Dutch figured it out, they, maybe they're a little more sane about sexuality than we are. I, I think so. I mean, I think Western Europe overall seems to be a little bit more sane when it comes to sexuality. I, I mean, there's the argument of, and maybe this is not true, I haven't done research on it, but as far as like how much violence is shown on in mainstream media in Europe versus sex compared to in the United States. It's very much the opposite. We talk about this in the introduction to this interview, but one of the, it's very hard to find facts about pornography or studies. They're agenda-driven. They're agenda-driven. People want to find But what one thing we did find, find that did seem to be fairly certain was after pornography was legalized in Denmark in 1969, Researchers reported a corresponding decline in sexual aggression, which, you know, who knows, who knows what that means, but it was kind of interesting. I've heard that a lot. I mean, from psychologists, like very sex-positive psychologists who say that when you, you know, suppress those feelings, sometimes they manifest in, in dangerous ways or much more unhealthy ways. So, mm -hmm. Because these are natural feelings, and I mean, I'm sure a psychologist could go into it a lot more than I can, but I have, I've heard that a lot. Well, let, let me bring it now around to the feminist aspect. Um, one of this, this topic was kicked off. Not, I've been desperate to do this topic for a long time, so I've been arguing with Christina about it. But we got this very moving email from a listener via our website. That's, you just can reach out to us, contact at femsplainers.com. And she wrote, she describes herself as a feminist who likes 
to watch porn, but she's very conflicted about it. And she wrote, are women competing with all the sex crazed women in porn that have perfected and exaggerated the expression of female pleasure? Where does porn fit in feminism? Are we sexually liberated creatures that enjoy being prioritized and focused on? Or has our pleasure been reduced to a tool for men? Where, where does an empowered woman who likes to watch porn, what, <laughs> what do we think? Well, first, I think we have to consider that there are women who do like very unfeminist fantasies, I guess you could say. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, many experts claim that rape is one of the like, top fantasies that women have. And I think women's fantasies tend to be a little more abstract than men's. Therefore, women aren't wanting to be raped. It's more of like a dynamic between them and their partner. It's something different that they're exploring, whether it's power, submission, dominance. Like there's all these different kind of dynamics that you can explore in sexuality, especially with sexual fantasies that are portrayed in acts that might seem completely horrible initially. Mm -hmm. And so when when a woman confides and someone says, I like rape fantasies, you shouldn't say, well, that's horrible. That's so unfeminist. You shouldn't want to be raped. And she's like, I don't want to be. This is a, this is a sexual fantasy. Mm-hmm. And there's something else about that dynamic that, that I'm drawn to. And so I think first we need to accept that there are plenty of women who have very unfeminist sexual fantasies. And they shouldn't try to police their fantasies. I don't think anybody should police their fantasies. I think they should police their behavior. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to police your fantasy. And I think we really need to understand that because then we're telling women that it's wrong to fantasize about these things. And we want to be sexually liberated, not like constrained to these like certain fantasies we should have. However, pornography is weird because I think it does define women's sexuality, not in a good way. Like Mm. I think on one end, it gives women an opportunity to obviously indulge in their fantasies. On another end, because we're not really educated about it, women are looking to it for guidance on what to do with their sex mm-hmm. life. And that's such a horrible guide because I well, like the teenage of- girls that I'm worried about. Yes. And it, it bothers me too, because I see a lot of young girls come into the industry. They're 18, 19 years old. And, and they come in and they say, I want you to choke me and slap me and spit on me. And I'm like, Ooh, no, I don't. What? Like, that's fine. If you really like that. But I have a feeling I'm like, you're, you just watched a lot of porn and you think that that's what you need to tell a guy or me for me to like you, but you don't have to like that. And I want to just take these girls and say, you don't have to like that. Don't let porn define your sexuality. And I, I hate that in porn, it is defining women's sexuality mm-hmm. because, and I find it ironic because that some of them are drawn to the industry because they're like, I don't want to be defined. I'm going to rebel and go to the porn industry. And yet the porn industry is defining their sexuality the same is like, maybe it's a little different, but it's just, it's defining it just as much as outside of the industry. So I just find that really to, to be ironic. But I think partly it, we need to know that porn is a fantasy, it's entertainment. And the women that are in porn are, they are acrobats. You would never watch football. And <laughs> oh, that's that. good to know. You're like, oh my God, so easy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slam dunk that ball. Like nobody does that. They look at these athletes and they go, wow, it's amazing that they can do that. Granted, it there are a lot of things you might watch that you don't wish you could do in porn. But the point is, 
we train for it. Oh my gosh, I don't want to be at this practice. <laughs> no, you don't want to know. Oh, they're oh, they're special. I mean, I, I'm not surprised. Not, <sighs> yeah, it's not something anybody should be expected to do. It's because yeah. we're entertainment and we're susceptible to wanting to wow the crowd just as much as any other entertainment industry, you know. And so sometimes there's some crazy things that women do and men do, and I don't want girls or guys to think that that's the norm. I don't want them to think that they, sh- they should expect that from their sexual partner. But it doesn't mean I think porn shouldn't exist or that we should really police the type of fantasies that are out there. Please join the Femsplainers. Yes, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast hangout. And follow us on Instagram at the Femsplainer Podcast. And find the Femsplainers on Facebook and Twitter at Femsplainers. And learn all about us at Femsplainers.com. Thank you. Yeah, Femsplainers. Somebody wrote to us on Twitter, and I, I don't, I haven't actually checked that this is true, so, but I like the idea of it. It said, uh, okay. Germany is planning feminist porn to counter negative stereotypes of women. What do you think about that, Chanel? And what would feminist porn even look like? Oh, I know what it would feminist be. Feminist porn it, exists. It, no, feminist <laughs> porn would be two people sitting down talking about their feelings and a man listening very attentively. Or, or a man doing the dishes or that, nothing yeah. but an apron. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chanel. Go to tell us about feminist porn. That, what you both just said, probably does exist. You, you talk to us out there. That's right. Men in aprons on even, search on Pornhub. Yeah, like, there's things that people sexualize that you would never think they would. But there actually is feminist porn that is ex- exists right now. It's kind of a trendy thing in the porn industry. Oh, I don't know if I like the term feminist porn. I think on one hand, it guides women or men who want a certain type of porn, but I think it also excludes women who want other types of porn. It's saying like, as a feminist or as a good woman, you will like this stuff. So it's defining what women want. So I don't, know if I really like the term like feminist porn, but it's very trendy in the porn industry can, to can say. Can you describe it I'm like a, a little bit? Director. Like what would be a scene? I mean, not graphically. We're not that kind of podcast, but what, <laughs> well, what, what would be like a storyline or whatever? Okay. So there's a difference between feminist porn based off the storyline and also based off how it was created. Mm-hmm. So a storyline might be kind of what you expect. Like Maybe it's less hardcore. It focuses most on the woman. It focuses, it might be slower to reach an orgasm. It might be very much more realistic, tender, maybe a little more dialogue driven. These are all some things that I imagine people associate with feminist porn. However, there are other directors who identify as a feminist porn director who say it's not about the content. It's about how it was created. I make sure that all the women who work for me are 100% informed about what they're doing. I make sure that they want to be there. I make sure they're involved. I make sure that they enjoy it. It's not uh, just about my product. It's also about making sure the women are happy and satisfied. That's feminist porn. So there's there's a distinction between feminist porn based off the content and how it was created. As you probably know, there are there's been a battle in feminism for decades about pornography. And there is a school of thought, originally led by like Andrea Dworkin and Catherine McKinnon, 
arguing that pornography is itself a violation of women's basic rights, human rights, that it was systematized degradation of women. And like 1986, Andrea Dworkin gave testimony before the Attorney General's Commission on Pornography, and she was there speaking in this sort of incantatory rhetorical style, looking at members of Congress and saying, I live in a country where women are systematically kept down by pornography, where rape is a form of entertainment. And, you know, she, she said it was, she compared pornographers to Nazis or to the Klan, and she was furious at the ACLU and at a lot of liberal editors for allowing pornography and, and defending pornographers. And she said that the women in pornography are largely uneducated, victims. Many of them, she even said, were illiterate. As a sex worker, how do you... Sex performer. A sex performer, Don't. a star. How do you evaluate her position? Well, I mean, I can't speak about porn from a personal experience from the 80s and 90s. However, I can talk about my own experience nowadays, and it's certainly changed a lot. The interesting thing about the industry now is that there are so many platforms that give performers the ability to really take control of their brand and take control of their content and make what they want to make. So more than ever before, performers can be 100% in control of what they make. And therefore, there's so many women now who are in the industry who are making content that they actively want to make. Nobody is telling them to make it. Nobody is hiring them to make it. They are making the content that they think is sexy, that they think is hot. And you know what? Sometimes that's still going to portray degradation against women because some women do like to explore that in their sex life. It's just, I don't know why sex is so bizarre, but what we see on camera is something that we fantasize about in our minds. And as we've talked about a lot, sometimes it doesn't make sense what we sexually fantasize I know. About. You know, you know that their data at Pornhub show that uh, porn featuring violence against women is extremely popular among women, more popular among women than men. Why do you think women would have these domination and violent fantasies? You know, I've, I've wondered the same thing because I've done scenes that are very violent and I'm very submissive. And I've really enjoyed it because I feel safe completely. I'm never in, in real fear. I trust the person I'm working with. And it's just this interesting dynamic that I get to explore because I'm not a very submissive person in my, in my personal life. I don't really, I feel like I'm a very dominant person, if anything. So for me to get to kind of explore that dynamic and feel safe is interesting and unique. And also, you know, when it comes to like BDSM, BDSM, just tell people who don't know what that is. Oh, it's, it's bondage, <laughs> dominant sadomasochism. You wear collars, you know, the I typical Tied up, feet, all the, you know, kind of extreme stuff that people that The governor of Missouri do. most recently. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a more extreme version of Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, you know, you know I can just hear Andrea Dworkin. She, she died in 2005, but were she here? Today, she would just say, well, I know that's the ultimate triumph of this violent patriarchy is that women like you, Janelle, you have internalized the oppressive system. You're the misogynist 
I, I wonder, though, if it's not the inverse and in what Shanoa is saying about like she's. I know a, she doesn't sound oppressed. <laughs> no, but no, but you you made that point that you 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 do not feel like a submissive person in your personality, and maybe in an era of such female power and and general domination uh, with feminism, it's it's kind of a reaction that kind of just want to have a take a break and 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 have these fantasies of only like Fifty Shades of Grey it was not women who were buying it. But it's, I mean, it was not men. Women who enjoy being submissive. There is a massive market for female domination on men. I mean, if you were, hmm. I, I would wonder if you were to Google BDSM just in general, you probably would likely come upon a, a lot more females dominating men than vice versa. It's a huge market that men want to be dominated by strong women, and no one's going against that. I mean, I've done just as long as they're not dressed up as wives. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, the things that I've, I've done worse things to men on camera than men have done to me. And nobody's ever, th- nobody thinks twice about when it happens to men. But yeah. there's the whole theory of like men who are really powerful in their personal life, you know, they hire the escort and they want to pretend to be a baby. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, it's very true. It happens. Yeah. All- and, the, and then there are books like Fifty Shades of Grey, which was a bestseller with Women, I don't know many men that read it. I couldn't read it. I just found the the prose. The prose was so bad. I couldn't get past page one. The but metaphors. I watched in an airport one time. I was sitting there, and there was this large man, biker man, and he had like two little kids with him. And I looked at him, and he was so like engrossed in what he was reading, and he was reading Fifty Shades. Of Grey. <laughs> I thought it was so hilarious. Funny. I wanted to. Take, I think I did take a photo, but it was, it was funny. <laughs> Chanel, I wanted to talk to you about the money in porn, that you went from stripping, which I would assume is less lucrative than being in the adult entertainment industry. Of course, there are the different levels. There are women who are coming in this at the start, and then there are women who get to your level of success. What is the money like for you and then for others who are just starting out? You know, the money is not what people think it is. I mean, people think, you know, we're all rich. We run around in like private jets and stuff. And I'm like, oh no, I wish. Not like that at all. I feel like I'm a, I, I have, I'm a very much a middle income person. You can, to make really amazing money, you have to be kind of a hustler. I mean, women in this industry are kind of entrepreneurs. Like, on camera, they, they might portray this bimbo, but behind the screen, they're hustling and they're making money and they know how to make money and they, they make money in all different ways. So there's owning your own website, selling your content on different platforms, what you might feature dance, you might sell merchandise, you might have sex toys, like there's all different ways to make money. So if you're, if you're a hustler, you can do really well, but just coming in and making money off of getting hired by scenes, you make good money, but it's certainly not what people expect. So, so you're not um, in it for the money, as it were. Well, I mean, oh, I mean, not. I it's, like, oh, it's not like so the riches, but but it's not like what people think. I mean, I do do well. I'm not gonna. I'm not certainly not going to complain about the amount of money I make. But it's it's not what people think, and it's also really inconsistent. So you know, one month you might only work a few times, and the next month you might be working almost every day. Like it just really varies. But it's you have to work for it. It doesn't come easy. Because you easily could come in the industry as a new girl, everybody shoots you, and then they're done. So you really have to hustle and like maintain relevance in the industry, because not everyone really has that longevity, and you can't really sustain that if you're just 
doing nothing and just what, like was waiting there, for was phone there a calls. time I remember I don't remember when it happened but suddenly it turned out that all of these amateurs at home with video cameras wanted to make their own porn and post it for free the idea that now that so much is available on the internet for free has that been harmful to the profits of the industry I mean, it's been harmful I mean, to, to, in other fields, it's been harmful in journalism that there's so much free material. Has this changed yeah, the economics? It definitely has. I mean, when I got in, it was 2010. And it was sort of, a, I think, the transition period between, wow, we don't really have to do much to make a lot of money. And, oh, my God, everyone's panicking because they actually have to know what they're doing to make money. So I was sort of like in that I came in right in that transition period where people were really kind of freaking out about the internet changing the industry. But honestly, as much as it's hurt the industry, I think it's changed the industry for the better for performers because that, that's really what prompted companies to come forward and give performers a platform to take control over their, their career because it makes them money. If you have a platform that's very similar to WordPress, but they target you know adult film performers, well, that makes you money, but it also helps the performer. If you have a merchandise site where performers can have kind of their own site off of your parent site, well, then that makes you money. So there's a lot of people that... That's what you've done, right, Chanel? Because we visited your site. And it seemed to have memberships and different levels. I do. Actually, I don't really... I don't do anything with my site, to be honest. That's like someone else controls it, and I don't really even update it because... I'm kind of lazy when it comes to my own well, website. But isn't, just, isn't this the thing, uh-huh. like you said... Is it a man who controls no. it? No, but this is what you're saying like about... Nobody. I think we're all finding this, and not just in your industry. That, as you say, you, it's not just that you have to be a hustler to be successful, but you have to be a hustler on all these different social media platforms. That's what's really changed, too. Yeah, or and you, I personally don't really like that aspect of no, it. No, none of us do. Of you said before that BDSM, then you Google it, it'll be as many men as women or something. Well, I just Googled it. Images. <gasps> oh, no, I don't want to look. Don't look. It's Hi, all Jennifer. women, women, women. It's oh, women. It's all women? I'm looking. I mean, it's all women. Oh, my God. Women being submissive? Or it, women? Yeah. No, Ooh. dominating. Dominating? Or I'm not allowed submissive? to have this in a think tank. I'm going to be investigated. What, was it images of women? Uh, well, okay. 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 I'm not asking anybody. God, it looks like some Middle Eastern female sex slaves search that <laughs> oh, you just did. Okay, that, you know, I've heard that is kind of a newer genre like that people are... I've, I've heard there's sort of an, an arms race, for lack of a better word, but to get traffic now, you have to be more outré, more, and so it's driving sexuality to extremes. Well, no, I agree with you because it's a lot of it's about SEO, and, and it's really changed how we've created content, which I don't like. It's, SEO is not a form of bondage, Christina. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> what is it? Wait, what are you looking at? Christina, says, Christina looked at me when you said SEO as if to say, what's that? I've never heard of that. It's like, it's like when someone oh. once told me about furry porn. I was, <laughs> no, what's a furry? Website traffic. <laughs> website traffic. SEO. It, Search engine it optimization. Oh, okay. Oh, got it, got it, got it. You kind of simplify the content. Like boobs, big butts. Like it's not very creative. <laughs> it's just like whatever gets traffic. Almost it doesn't even matter what the content is, as long as you get people clicking on it. And it's, I think it's really taken a lot of the interest out of pornography because people are just looking to get those clicks. So they just want they they want the traffic. That's what makes them money. Oh, I had a question for you. So I was in Los Angeles recently, and I I saw 
my first butt implant woman, just standing on the corner in Beverly Hills with really obvious butt implants. And I'm wondering, like, we, we are, are butt implants the new breast implants? Like, have you noticed a changing sexual aesthetic that women all now have to yes. look like Kim Kardashian as opposed to the olden days where you just had to have a really yes. big I, artificial chest? No, in the old days, it, it was legs. Well, that's the old, old days. Yeah, it's the old, old days. <laughs> Sorry, good. <laughs> no, I know. It, it is. I see it a lot, and I'm sometimes horrified by it, and I, <laughs> I don't, they haven't quite perfected it yet or they're trying to look like that i don't know i mean i i'm not it doesn't really appeal to me there's some women who do injections that are a little more subtle they don't really have that really strong like kim kardashian fake look but a lot of girls get that look and they're feeling good about it i I think it looks it looks so strange this particular woman also had lip implants so there was a kind of duck effect where her lips projected yes. one way. See, this brings exterior. up a topic that concerns me, and I have a question about just the aesthetics of pornography. Uh, a lot of lurid colors and vinyl. And Are there porn sites that are, you know, sort of have a merchant and ivory feel? Like, <laughs> oh, the view. merchant and ivory on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> where it's pretty and, uh, you know, do you have um, attractive... Decor instead. I mean, it's all <laughs> dungeons and chains. Did, you know, is there something a little more decorous? There are decorous lots upscale. of porn that that have ivory and beautiful art, whatever light fixtures. I don't know. There is a lot. The thing is, people have to kind of search for it. But the about pornography. Not that I'm interested. I just want to know everybody. if it exists. There's something. There's so much porn out there now that it's not necessarily all about violence and degrading women and vinyl and fake lips like there's just so much out there that's for everybody i mean well it can be all that but just with better interiors yeah there are i mean there's people that really do care about their sets it's not just about the like i mean mostly women pornographers tend to veer away from like the bright vinyl fake lips like they want the women to look a little more next door they're very strong on the storyline. Like, there's a lot of female pornographers now that have kind of changed the game a little bit. And they're, they're like, doing so more and more every day. We're with Chanel Preston, a porn star. Wait a minute. Are all actors in pornography stars? You almost always say porn star. Are they just porn? Yes, there's a lot of non-porn stars, but Chanel is genuinely a porn star. She's a genuine star, yes. I'd like to change the subject for a moment and talk about the vulnerability to abuse in this profession. We recently interviewed a young woman who was a model, and and she's started an organization to offer more protection to women who are on shoots. And this is just the, the, the standard modeling industry. There's a lot of predatory behavior. Is this, it would seem to me that in your field, there would be many opportunities for abuse from, you know, people pretending to be legitimate filmmakers, inviting you to come and make a film, (laughs) to um, being on the set, and then the actor just getting out of control and doing things you didn't want him to do. Absolutely. I mean, that's something that APAC focused on and I actually I'm not I'm not a strong part of APAC anymore but I wish they would focus on it more now 
because like I mentioned before, there's kind of two camps in the industry. There's the ones who are, you know, this is their career, they have agency, there's, they have respect in the industry, people aren't going to mess with them, they're mm-hmm. well known, and then there's the whole underbelly. And a lot of the girls that are exposed to that tend to be working for less professional companies, working for, they have agents, I want to put that in quotes, <laughs> because they're not legitimate agents. But a lot of the girls, like on my end, aren't really exposed to that world very much. And therefore, they tend not to advocate for those girls. And I've always fought to advocate for those girls because I said, we can't further legitimize the industry until we address these issues. The problem is getting access to those girls because a lot of the people who are preying on them are actively like going out and looking for girls who want to get into the industry, like whether that's on Craigslist or I, I don't know how they, however they get access to these girls, we don't have access to them first. So it's, it's kind of challenging for APAC to get access to these girls pretty much. And then if they are being abused or coerced or exploited, a lot of times they're, you know, a lot of their abusers kind of do the same, use the same tactics that like a street pimp might use as far as psychological tactics to make sure they have control. Well, that's, that's true of any industry, right? And we saw that with Hollywood, that it's never, right. well, actually not in Hollywood because a lot of the big name actresses were getting in trouble, but you always worry about the people who don't have that power. You're the girlfriend, as we mentioned earlier, of a porn star. His name is James Dean, but with two E's, not like the actor. And right. he was accused of rape and sexual assault a couple of years ago, 2015, I guess, maybe. So he was a co-founder with you of the, the Porn Advocacy Committee. It caused, I guess, big talk in the porn world that, that some women had said that he had forced them to do things in these film situations that they hadn't consented to. What right. happened with that? And, and you're still with him, and I think you stuck by him. So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I did stick by him, and it, it's, it's really hard to talk about because the porn industry is so unique and so nuanced that it's difficult to explain to someone what possibly could have happened in these situations. Well, it's, it's true that if you're filming a film about rape, then <laughs> well, <laughs> can you tell where, where does the line of abuse start, you know? Well, that's the thing. There is a gray area in the industry. And, you know, people who, who a lot of people say, no, there's not. You just don't abuse people. And I'm like, okay, it's not that easy because... <sighs> Pat, can you have a safe word? Can you have a word? If I say this word, everybody has to stop? <laughs> well, they should. And in BDSM, they do. Like, most companies I work for are very careful about that. They're like, these are the things that could possibly happen to you today. Are you okay with everything? Is there anything you're not okay with? And you, you have your list, and then you have a safe word. And I actually think that should be implemented in the rest of the industry as well. I think it's very important for people to know exactly what they're going to be doing when they go into a scene. However, they're not. Like, uh, newer girls might come in, and they don't know to say that they don't do something because they don't even know that that's something that is possible on set. You know, like, hi, can you put a cucumber inside of you? Like, oh, I didn't know to say no to that (laughs) beforehand because I didn't know that was even something that would be asked of me. And so when you get to set... The director may have been in this industry for 20 years, and he's not asking to, you know, try to trick you into doing anything. It's just sort of like, to that director, that might be something that's very normal to do. So then the girl might feel pressure to say yes, or she just isn't comfortable saying no. 
Then the director tells the male performer, I want you to do this. The male performer follows directions. The female performer follows directions. Well, afterward, that female performer might have felt violated, but there was nothing to indicate that to the director or the male performer. And it, I think it happens a lot because the, another girl could have gone in and done the same. The whole situation could have been exactly the same, and she would have gone home and been like, wow, I had this great scene. That was amazing. So I think there needs to be a lot more communication um, that's outside of BDSM even. Like, Is it what you feel happened to your boyfriend, James? And, and what's the status of his case? Is, it, is he being sued or anything like that? No. There's, no. Nobody, nobody came after him. I think a lot of people in the industry actually do support him, but they weren't comfortable coming forward. There were a few people who came forward to support him, but, you know, an example is one girl wrote this blog on Tumblr saying, you know, I support James. He's not a rapist. You don't have to like him. You don't think, have to think he's a great, wonderful person, but he's not a rapist. And it got flagged and taken down. And so I noticed anytime anybody tried to support him, the mob would just attack them and get it deleted or get it thrown out or something. Like, so people didn't really have access to people who were really supporting him or they weren't listening. They didn't, the industry's too nuanced and you have to kind of really explain the, the things that happen on set that could lead someone to feel violated, even though there was no like deliberate violation that happened. Well, we have a last question for you that came from a reader, that, or sorry, listener, that will sort of sum up what I'm thinking, too, is you're in a line of work as in a dancing or modeling. There's a certain shelf life to it, as you pointed out at the beginning. What happens next? Do you, do you marry Jane? Do you have children? Like, what's your, go into another line of work? It's maybe a little less interesting. What, what happens? I mean, that's a good question. I think that's something all performers are faced with. And sometimes it's really terrifying because you know there's a shelf life. You know it's not going to last forever. But you also know that or you question whether you can succeed outside of the industry, not because you aren't capable, but because, like, are people going to let me? <laughs> because there's a lot of times where people get fired, they get kicked out of programs. You know, they're not really in a way allowed to succeed outside of the industry because they're just discriminated against and they're fired and kicked out. So there's this fear of like, am I going to work really hard to have a different career and then, you know, I'm going to get fired or whatever. So these are things that I think about all the time and it's, there's a lot of anxiety around it. Do you, and do you want that family life? Do you want children or? I always did want children and I, still consider it. I feel like it's going to happen. I do worry about having children. <laughs> Naturally, I think some people are like, is this really something I want to do? But I think I, I could have children. I could see myself having a family for sure. So Chanel, before you go, as you know, we always ask about our guests' favorite cocktails so they can drink along with us. I'm really hoping you're not going to say body shots. <laughs> what, what is your favorite cocktail? Well, I was originally thinking champagne cocktails because I really do enjoy those, but I never drink them. So if I do go out and have a drink, it's usually just a vodka soda with, with bitters in it. Oh, why the bitters? Basic. Why the bitters? I love the taste of bitters. I put it in every... Sometimes I just drink soda water with bitters. I mean, it's, it's I, I've been told it supposedly helps with like stomach problems, but I think it tastes delicious. <laughs> okay. And it has like this herby sort of like... I don't know, kind of earthy, bitter taste. I like it. Wow. Okay. So a little bittersweet end to the, yes. to the podcast. But if you come to Washington, yeah, you have to come out with us and we'll have some champagne cocktails. That's Christine's favorite. I would favorite. love to.
Chanel, this has been so interesting and enlightening for us and I'm sure our listeners. And we really appreciate it. I want to say your candor. Can I say that? Yes. <laughs> He's been very candid. <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, but th- thank you for, for joining us. And, uh, and thank you, by the way, for following us. That's how we got, we connected through Twitter originally, I guess, or no, through our website. Did you yeah, I actually emailed to you guys, but yeah, I did. I, um, I, I, I've been a fan for a long time, so I was excited when you guys started the podcast. Well, thank, thank you, you for having me. Thank you, Chanel. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Okay, so we got through that, Christina. I think we, we managed to keep it relatively PG, but we, we never really found out why Chanel went into this industry. I mean, I guess money and things, but that there's a lot of other things you can do for money. Do you feel we got to the heart of why maybe, a woman would Maybe do this? she just thinks of it as, in a very practical way, it's just a way to make a living that not that different yeah, I mean, from other sorts of jobs. You made it seem like a day job. I mean, <laughs> take a little lunch bucket in. I know. It's very hard for me to think of it that way. But it is the case that many societies, historically, they've been much more open about sexuality. And in Pompeii, I've been to museums and seen exhibits of the murals that were rescued from mm-hmm. after Vesuvius erupted in Pompeii. And, you know, there were gardens and, you know, ladies with garlands. It was all very lovely. Well, what they left out of this exhibit, murals in people's homes of very explicit sexual scenes, you know, of Pan having sex with a goat, all sorts of of very explicit sex. It was out in the open. Doesn't Zeus rape a goat? Zeus, the the, the goddess. I think there was a swan. Oh, the swan. Yes, Yes, the swan. (laughs) Uh, Well, we, we took a family trip to Pompeii. And there's still one of the preserved buildings is an old whorehouse. And on the walls are, it's almost like in structural diagrams for quite kinky sex. Or advertisements for what you can get. Maybe. <laughs> point, you just point to what you want. <laughs> I but like I, that. I guess, it's, so in a sense, I mean, this is kind of what Chanel was saying. The internet is just providing us, I don't know, the frescoes of ancient times. It's just a little more yeah. graphic and vivid and... Uh, you know, Better then you, you go and see, if you read the 18th century novels, Rabelais, you know, so there's a, a lot of bodiness and explicitness, and that we've become more, certainly in the United States, there's been a whole tradition of Puritanism and not being, you know, comfortable with sexuality. And that's all changing. But I'm not sure there isn't a, you know, some medium between being hopelessly prissy and just the incredible coarsening effects when this is all around you. Well, I've certainly come out of this interview feeling a little bit better because I was I was weirdly sort of heartened that we couldn't yet find research. I mean, maybe it's just too early to tell and we have no idea what it's this accessibility to this these kinds of acts will do. Well, Camille Paglia, my friend and philosopher who celebrates sexuality and pornography and so forth, she also warns that if a society becomes overly pornified and too many obstacles fall and people are too open and openly depraved, (laughs) 
that it could be a signal of the fall and decline of the civilization. And she points to uh, ancient Caligula. Rome. <laughs> Caligula. <laughs> well, that was, that was really interesting. And thank you to all of our listeners who sent in questions. And just a reminder, we do really love hearing from you. Sometimes the easiest way to reach us is just contact at femsplainers.com. But you can also come to us through Facebook at Femsplainers and Twitter at Femsplainers and Instagram, Instagram. Femsplainers Podcast, which Christina is finally on. I'm on. I haven't posted anything yet. <laughs> anyway, so make sure you reach out to us and... We love your comments and suggestions and criticism. Some people have pointed out that we have some bad oh, habits. Oh, like we interrupt each other too much and our guests, which we're really working hard on. So we appreciate you pointing that out. We're trying to do better. Watch for improvement. Bye. Bye-bye.